Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. Giving us a little bit of time, uh, depending on how fast you listen to us talk. We are a happily married couple of 13 years. I don't say that with a question mark. I had to think about it as I said it, because it's been a long time. This year will be 14, right? Yeah, 14 in, in August, yeah. And we have four children, ages 11 through four. By the way, I don't judge you for having you think about it, because I also have to do the math almost every time now. Oh, I when wasn't. I, I was not how uh, long we've been married, I have to do the mental math. <laughs> I didn't. 2012 I wasn't expecting minus you to judge me at all. <laughs> 2008, and we haven't was, hit that milestone yet, So, because our anniversary is over Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And so... I was actually thinking about all of the people online going, oh, you can't have forgotten how long you've been married. Don't do that on the show. That, all I'm so saying all is I'm us. totally okay with yeah. you not yeah. knowing off the top of your head That's, how long you've been married. I, I appreciate that. And I'm okay with you not knowing because at the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter. The only time I think it really matters is when you're in a contest for who's been married the longest. That's, That's the true. only time it really matters. That's true. Um, Speaking of that, I'm going to tell you guys a story me, about that really quickly. So when we got married, we did, it's become increasingly common, but I didn't want to throw my bouquet. So we did a dance off for people who had been married the longest. So all the married couples go out on the dance floor and then the MC announces, if you've been married less than five years, leave the dance floor less than 10 years, up and up and up. And my dad's parents won the bouquet at our wedding. And to his dying day, my grandfather died when Titus was six months old, to his dying day, he swore to me that it was a setup. And I genuinely did not know if they had been married longer than... Because then a couple other (laughs) couples, when they got married at our church, did the same thing. And Mm -hmm. there were two other couples. uh, Of the four people in the couple, one of those two couples, one only one of them is still alive now, which is wild. The Andersons and Bill and Fan... And only Fan is still alive of those. But for years, Fan would just, you guys who go to our church probably, possibly know this. She, you know, they would have these dance-offs where, you know, the MC is, okay, if you've been married 60 years or less, get off the dance floor. And there's Andy and Jean and Bill and Fan dancing. And Fan is just huffing and sighing and rolling her eyes because she knows she has been through this dance multiple times before. She knows that Andy and Jean have been married longer than she and Bill have, so they're going to win. <laughs> um, and yet, you know, it's still sweet to be celebrating couples that have been married for that long. But I have a picture that our wedding photographer took of my grandpa doing a fist pump or like, an, you know, whatever it's called when uh, when they... When it was when the last couple left the dance floor and they were still out there. And now that I think about it, I actually don't know how many years they had been married when they won that. It was well over 60, but I don't know how many it was. You'd have to ask your parents or something. Yeah, because I don't know what year they got married. I can tell you that as we 
are sort of we watch World Watch with the kids and every now and then something will come up about Queen Elizabeth and her Diamond Jubilee and all these things and first of all all the kids think it's hilarious that it's Queen Elizabeth because we have an Elizabeth and they think that's somehow hilarious but also she's only 96 and great grandma Eileen is 98 and so they're just not that impressed with this old lady <laughs> because she's not as old as Gigi. <laughs> she seems to be in better uh, health. I don't know. She she doesn't seem to be as frail as your great as your grandmother. But. Well, I think at ninety six, my grandma was still driving. Fair. Only in the last couple of years did she sell her car, and she's kind of. This is the first birthday of our kids, now that I think about it, that she has missed sending a birthday card. She didn't send Faith a birthday card for her birthday last Mm. Monday, a week ago. Mm. Uh, By the way, you guys, we're recording this on Monday night instead of our normal Tuesday afternoon because I'm taking the kids on a field trip to a farm tomorrow. Are you driving the van for that after all? I am not. I'm just taking my car. Yeah, Molly actually came to me the other day and she goes, hey, um, can I drive the van on Tuesday? I'm like, I don't care. Because I was I, I think she dr- was more like, can I drive the van? Can you show me or something? I don't know. No, like, I was, was just making a, sure I was yeah. reserving it. I don't, we, I, it doesn't sit in the driveway unless we travel. I know. So that's kind of nice. But um, yeah, so if you haven't figured it out, we don't really have an agenda when we sit down and talk. Molly always has an agenda. She, I have a little bit of an agenda. She kind of produces the show throughout the week, thinks about all Except the things Except for last that are in week her when you had things that you wanted in, in her in her in her in uh, my brain. In her brain. Uh, um, you know the thing that's in the in my brain the most right now is Martin Luther's Diet of Worms. Worms, if you're a silly American, his diet of worms speech. I had he's the... died of worms. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, um, I had the kids watch. So our our school year ends with the Reformation. Actually, I'm ending our school year with a little unit on Shakespeare, and Titus is like, ugh, I hate Shakespeare, and I'm gonna reveal myself to be the uncouth. Uh, not well-educated person that that I actually am. I don't love Shakespeare either. I've never liked Shakespeare. I I feel like I don't know. I don't I don't understand why people absolutely love him. But I told Titus, you don't have to love Shakespeare. I'm not going to force a ton of Shakespeare on you because I also don't love it. I'm not going to be offended if you don't love Shakespeare. You have to though. Understand, like, know some Shakespeare, know about him, because there are literally words in the English language that he invented, and he stands at a little bit of a at a turning point between Old English and New English, the English that we speak today, and he is was such a big influence on the genre of fiction and of playwriting. You don't have to like him, but you have to understand how important he is for all of these foundational reasons. And so anyway, we're we're spending having very abbreviated school weeks because I'm going to a homeschool conference with your sister and your brother's wife leaving on Wednesday night, which will be awesome. But of course we're only... you're gonna be awesome. You have no kids, no husband, no cares, no, no worries. Well in the world. no 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 I that's 
actually, so far, you're not on any of why it's going to be awesome. Oh. I really huh. like my sisters-in-law. That's, that's why I was sending you. No, no, no. <laughs> I think I, I'm... You're describing all this in the negative. Like, like, kind of like, why is oh, heaven, like, right, why is heaven going to be great? There's going to be no death, no sickness, no crying. Mm-hmm. Heaven's going to be great because Jesus is there. The homeschool conference. Okay, I get it. I'm yes, being I will. It, no, no, no. I mean, there's a there's a yin and a yang, right? Like, there's a mm-hmm. negative and a positive. It will be great to get a break from the kids. I mean, I put Faith back to bed four times and had to reset her sound machine four times tonight because she would unplug it and then plug it back in. And oh, it was they're a, gonna hate me because I'm not gonna do that. Well, they only it's do fine. it for mom. They're I mean, just hate okay, me. Titus. Uh, I'm gonna out myself as a terrible mom again right now. But Titus stepped on a nail today. It wasn't rusty. He didn't need an ER. It barely, like his foot barely. It looked it barely, like he had a scratch on his foot. Tonight yeah. And it, did you know? Okay, two things. Now all the medical people in this in our audience are gonna be plugging their ears and. La 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 yeah. la la la. Um, okay, so if you are not up to date on your tetanus. If you think that tetanus is a huge risk to you, if you are not up to date on it and you get, you step on a rusty nail on a farm where the tetanus tetanus is more often than not, uh, it doesn't do you any good to go get a tetanus shot after you step on the nail. It takes two weeks for it to actually build antibodies in your body. So you have to, they will give you the shot because it makes you feel good and because they think they should give you the shot. But if you actually are at risk for tetanus, getting a shot after you've stepped on a rusty nail is not going to do anything for you. Secondly, if the wound bleeds all the way from the sort, like from the deepest point of the wound, and it bleeds a lot, it actually flushes the fungus and the, the bacteria that cause tetanus. How come it doesn't flush AIDS out then? Huh? I'm not, get, I'm like, not on that topic that right now. Wild syringe. Okay, fair. Uh, I, so, so if it bleeds a lot and it's well cleaned, you are at very, very, very low risk for a tetanus. So anyway, um, all of those people who are like, your son stepped on a nail and you didn't take him to the ER for a tetanus shot. Yes. That's exactly what happened. I, I looked for a, I a stepped whole... on a nail like months ago and You're poked fine? through my skin. I'm fine. I didn't bother with it. Right. Well, I also assume since it's new construction, it wasn't a rusty nail. And it was. Oh, this it was, was a rusty nail. This is a very old rusty nail. Okay. Well, you're fine too. I am. Um, where was I going? I haven't with had that? Done this shot in like 20 years. Titus stepped on a nail <laughs> today. Why was I talking? You were about trying. Titus you're outing, on a nail outing yourself as a bad mom because oh, we were talking about. Yeah. So he stepped on a nail, but he literally walked past you and your dad. And didn't say a word about what was wrong to it's him. true. He came straight to mom. I was, I was in the garage doing something, and, and I think Elise came in and said, Dad, you need to go look at Titus's foot. He's in there crying right now. He stepped on a nail. And, you know, the first vision in my head is a nail totally poking, protruding through his foot. And I was like, well, is mom with him? Yeah. Well, I don't need to go. That's what I told her. I was like, I don't need to go there. Well, yeah, they're like, you need, we need to go get dead. You've convinced them because of your ski patrol training that you are the the end-all, be-all of was, medical care. If it was that bad, they would have, like, I would, you would have come out and got me. If it right. was through his foot. But even then, I would have taken that in and had them do it. I'm not going to pull that out of his foot. It, he, yeah. Anyway, could, it but, was barely an injury. Um, but the point is, he came straight to me. So yes, yeah. while I am gone, the kids will not not have the sorts of problems that they have when they have a mom 
there that they can come to with those sorts of problems. Yeah. Yeah. But Mom. so, so I'm going to be at the wild and free conference okay. and Maybe one of our listeners is going to be there and you can meet people that'd and be super and, fun and hustle the show. I'm not going to hustle Sorry. the show, but they if, should have asked you to speak. Honestly, like that's just because they are, but, 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 um, you don't have a fancy curated Instagram profile and a nice little peasant hat from Nashville. It's true. I, I, I know <laughs> you guys, I've joked about meeting. Oh, if you're familiar guys. with wild and free, there's a very, very distinct aesthetic that wild and free moms have on their Instagram. And I do not have that aesthetic. I, you're probably like, or except the- for Greta, you're probably like 20 years older than all of the wild and free people. No, not necessarily. No, like not even your. It's like all millennials, isn't it? No, not necessarily. Oh, okay. The um the I'm gonna continue the gal with who does narrative in my head. The gal who does the homeschooling with the classics Instagram page that's really funny where she adds homeschooling captions to classical artwork. Mm-hmm. She's I think she's older than I am or about my age. She posts about '90s youth group culture as having been in purity. Is she culture. a wild free person? She is. She's one oh. of the speakers. Oh. See if you had one of those fancy things, you could be a speaker too. If um, I had one of those hats, uh, yeah. And you did, you did pointless internet content instead of substantive content like this podcast. <laughs> You're so judgy. <laughs> I'm horrible. You're okay, horrible. you guys, I do have one thing. Uh, one thing I will, I will bring up, and it's going to be short and brief. And as most of you know, I'm a big fan of uh, blockchain technology, and I'm a cryptocurrency. Uh, investor and like the rest of the world uh, we're all losing but as my brother said when driving through hell don't stop <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about it so ride or die <laughs> yep. there you go guys there's okay. my there's my investment advice just ride it out don't don't get off when going well, through hell I don't mean, stop if, if you bought relatively high and it's low you almost have nothing to lose like don't sell now why no see that's the th- but that's the weird thing about about market it, you look at the stock market every single time it crashes people sell and you're it like it doesn't make sense it's none of it you, makes you sense had, like, why are you write it out doing that just write out always it, go, it comes back up usually anyway although you can write off the loss on your taxes right if if Some. you if you if you claim the game if you claim the if you claim it, like claim yeah, the, okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's all I got for tonight, guys. Okay, it's well, been, it's been I real. have a good night. I was I was actually I'm kidding. Mid thought. Oh, were you major rabbit trail? Yes. So mid thought on a minute. So we're bad. ending the year on were. Shakespeare, but I'm spending two weeks on the Reformation and trying to get the kids to understand. <sighs> that was a rabbit trail. Yeah, but so today, <laughs> I had them watch. YouTube and sometimes Amazon have this series done by the Voice of the Martyrs called Torchlighters, mm-hmm. and the the Jim Elliot one scared the kids. <laughs> the but we've Lily's gonna fall asleep wondering when she's gonna get eaten by no no, no 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 we watched that years ago when when they were probably too young to appreciate it. I feel like there are a couple of others that have scared the kids too, but they're about thirty minute animated Christian heroes, modern-ish. Like, there's one on Amy Carmichael and that we've enjoyed. And some of the other... In the My Father's World homeschool cycle, several years ago, we did more missionary biographies, which I just loved, and I'm excited to go back to that part of the cycle and 
read more of them. But we watched a lot of the Torchlighters then. Well, we watched the Martin Luther Torchlighter today on YouTube. And I, the kids sort of, interestingly enough, remember Martin Luther is on track to be a lawyer and he gets caught in the storm, this really bad thunderstorm. You know this story, right? No. He gets caught. So Martin Luther gets caught in this I really... I grew up in your weird reformed world. Actually, you didn't either. So there's that. I, I went to a super liberal Lutheran church when I was young. They also well, didn't. Well, yeah, but you didn't They grow also up didn't in the teach weird, this story. Yeah, you're, you didn't grow but up Martin in But Martin Luther, yeah. Lutheran church. Luther. So, okay. So I will tell you the story. Martin Luther gets caught in this really bad storm. And our kids are, Faith and Lily are like, I hate this storm. Is Martin Luther going to die in the storm? And I was like, guys, this is the beginning of a 30-minute movie. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He doesn't <laughs> die. But he actually also believes that he's going to die in this storm. And as he's huddled, he's on 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 the road somewhere. And as he's huddled under a tree... He tells God, if you spare me and I don't die in this storm, I will become a priest. And he doesn't die, and he becomes a priest. And, or a monk, joins a monastery, whatever. But, and that is how he started down his path of theology, and that made a really big big impression on our storm-fearing girls, Mm. which, if you've been tracking with us for several years now, we had a... A thunderstorm tonight. We had a thunderstorm tonight. The and first, pretty much like all, I would probably say this is pretty much the first storm major of the storm season. of the season. And we always we had a huge windstorm that Lily. That doesn't count. It it. Do you not remember that it was oh, screaming wind and Lily came downstairs? I remember and, and down but, here with your but mom. Wind. We get wind year round. So for me, that's kind of like eh. It's when you see the massive thunderheads roll in the really cool cloud the structures. Threat, you see the lightning yeah. and. It's huge. It's a couple loud. seconds later, yeah, the ground shakes from a crack of thunder. And then you get like thunder. torrential rain. Like that's when I'm when I'm when I'm talking storm. I'm talking storm season. We get some really nice ones up here. And Lily is terrified of tornadoes, and she anyway. So she the the big crack of thunder. She screamed at tonight and uh, imagined her making a deal with God that she would become a priestess or something <laughs> but i'll become a deacon in the as as denomination. with most homeschooling of course i enjoyed this piece of history more than most of my kids although titus really likes history but i appreciated it more and they had him give a huge chunk fairly big chunk of his talk uh the diet of worms which i will give you a little piece of history here also he was the Pope wanted to bring him to Rome to put him on trial. And the there's there was kind of a separation of church and state, if you will, battle. Mm-hmm. But the Pope was also the Holy Roman Emperor. Anyway, like this the Pope had political as well as church control. And the chance I don't I can't remember the term. Anyway, the head of state in Germany wanted to not have the Pope exerting quite as much political power as he could in Germany. And so the head of state of Germany said, no, we're going to put him on trial here instead and brought him to the Diet of Worms, which was a church gathering in the town called Worms. I feel like there's a joke in here we can write 
where the punchline can be, he died of worms. He died and of worms. <laughs> I can't. Not, not coming and to worms, mind right worms now. Worms ate his body. <laughs> but there's got to be a joke in there somewhere. Um, I'll come up with something. Somebody will come up with something. Some, our Lutheran. Somewhere, somehow. Yeah, Do sorry. we have anyway, Lutheran? I totally interrupted listeners. you again. If anyway, Sam, if I, Sam still listens to our show, the railroad guy who used to stay in our driveway, he's going to be like wanting to reach his hand through the earbuds and strangle me. Probably because I'm also not telling the story super well. But so Luther gave this really long speech that I actually just Googled and found the the long version of it, but the end of the speech is this. Since your most serene majesty and your lordships require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer to the question, will you recant of all of your writings that you've done and are leading the church away from Rome, he says, I will give one, and it is this. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures and by clear reason— for I do not trust in the Pope or councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Anyway, that just struck me as an incredibly powerful statement of both conviction as well as of faith. And maybe it struck me because I have been involved in some internet back and forth of late about the idea of being winsome in your witness. I totally did not intend to discuss this, but maybe that's why the Luther thing struck me so much. Luther was not a particularly winsome guy. As you know. or No, he was incredibly divisive, I think. And l- literally divisive. He divided the church. Like a lot from, of Presbyterians, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> different, different. Sorry. No, but, you know, there. I think I read an interesting piece by Kevin DeYoung recently that was a, a little bit of a capstone of... So last week... The editor of First Things, whose last name is Woods, published a piece. Did we talk about this last week no, on the we show? Didn't. Okay, so he published a piece in First Things talking about how much Tim Keller had influenced him in his early days as a minister to the extent that he still has a 15-year-old golden retriever named Keller. Oh, this was the article that was sent to us about how uh, Keller's probably not relevant anymore. He's, he's it wasn't sent to us. I yeah, I Keller. found it and posted it on my Facebook because it, it resonated with it me. It was emailed to me or texted to me by somebody. Other else. people. Well, yeah. I I posted it on my Facebook because I when I because I follow first things. No, you're right. You're right. You posted on your Facebook, and I'm seeing. I saw the comment thread with the person who usually sends articles like this, but he didn't. And so, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Sorry, guys. So, so there was, I wasn't the only one that it resonated with. And I think what resonated with me so much in this article was trying to work through, I mean, we have it, we have an entire Tim Keller shelf in our library. I love his book on marriage. The reason for God is great, but probably didn't influence me nearly as much as the, the meaning of marriage 
the prodigal God. The prodigal God was kind of life-changing. Uh, his book on prayer is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember when we got married, someone gave us a bootleg CD of talks that he and mm-hmm. Kathy had done on marriage, and we listened to it on our honeymoon, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic. I actually, the very first sermon I ever heard from him, my friend Paul at Westminster burned a CD of a sermon of his for me. And this was, (laughs) this is going to date me in terms of how old I am, but this was early on in CD burning days. And it was very cool to have a CD with handwritten, yeah. you know, somebody had handwritten the title of this of the sermon that he downloaded from the internet, and then well, burned and, on there. And, I wasn't even texting in those days. And I we've even have... had we even had the pleasure of seeing Tim Keller live. Mm-hmm. I said it like that on purpose to be a dork. No, we we've been to Redeemer several times, and he did a. I remember just his series on the Psalms was like life-changing it was like wow i have absolutely never thought about anything related to psalms and what the laws and all that stuff means statutes and all that stuff means and how it like just what keller did there was like oh you know yeah sort of super brilliant and so anyway try i i appreciated the tone of this piece by woods because he was Super appreciative of the way that Keller had influenced him, but was also trying to muddle through figuring out. And he had a, a hypothesis, which was Keller Keller created this third way way of engaging with the world, which was we're neither left nor right. And Woods was like, I think the time has passed for that because the culture is so incredibly mm. antagonistic to Christianity now. Christianity has to come on stronger just to hold our ground. And also, here's an example of third way that's super relevant from the last two weeks to say, well, I'm neither conservative nor liberal. I'm neither Republican nor Democrat gives the impression that both of them are equally bad or that they're um, they're that the policies, as I tried to explain in somebody who had taken some umbrage at how I interpreted this article to say, um, I didn't think this well through because I wasn't planning to talk about this, but, but looking at, for example, to the two party system, Republican and Democrat, one of them has a position on abortion that I, they don't necessarily consistently vote that way, but at least the official party policy is pro-life you almost cannot vote for a Democrat in our day and age and believe that they will uphold the life of the unborn. Right. And if you believe that that is that the unborn are alive, that they're made in the image of God and that they're worthy of protection, you you vote one way versus the other. It's not a morally neutral thing to say, well, both have policies that I agree with and don't agree with. But and Keller tends to cast himself as being so as being Switzerland in the world of politics. And it's like, no, no, no. When there's a world war, being neutral actually like you're on one side or not. And as the you know who is it that said when 
when they came for the Jews and I didn't speak up for the Jews and now they've come for me and there's no one left. Somebody's yeah. going to know this quote far better than I do. But anyway, I think that, that Keller in our world has become somewhat, it, well, I'll say it this way. His cultural commentary, his biblical commentary still more or less rings true for me. When he swings into cultural commentary, I feel like it's a swing and a miss for me. And trying to puzzle that through, some people commented that they thought it was unfair, they thought it was wrong, and then David French key jumped in and said, well, you've always got to be winsome. And it was like, well, yeah, yes, says, but... Says the Trump lover. Oh, French isn't a Trump lover. French absolutely hates Trump. Oh, wait, I got that backwards. That w- Sorry. I need to edit that out. That makes me sound like an idiot. Yeah, you're right. French... Is the op- he's a never trumper? Yeah, hardcore never trumper. Oh, so which he one is it yeah. Metaxas. Thank you. So French jumps in and is like, "Well, you know, Keller has been persecuted for being a Christian for years, which is true. He's actually had trouble finding meeting spaces in New York City for decades because people <clears throat> didn't want Christians meeting there. Uh, but but the whole idea of being winsome and it, it, if the world hates you, it's just because you're not being winsome enough. You're not presenting the gospel in a culturally relevant enough way. You're not third weighing hard enough. You're not third weighing right. You're not, you know, you've you've missed the the cultural moment. And I say this with yes, some sarcasm in my voice because I've had negative experiences with people who if they were Catholic, would consider Keller the patron saint. They're not Catholic, so they just revere him and see him as a role model and as a trailblazer on their particular style of being PCA. But they, this idea that those of us who will speak out against abortion in a way that's offensive to somebody who is pro-abortion, or and and yes, there's a way to be winsome and loving, but at some point you have to say. The wisdom of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. And First John, John says in in all of these, it, you know, these statements about love, and the world would know you by your love. I mean, I'm, now I'm conflating John seventeen and First John, but right in the middle of all this stuff about brotherly love and God is love, John throws in, "Don't be surprised that the world hates you." Like, because your definition of love, if it's consistent with God's definition of love, is going to rub up against the world and their definition of love. Because loving what is good and true and beautiful at some point is going to smell of death to people who have embraced the truth, of, you know, have rejected the truth of God for a lie and have are worshiping the created thing rather than the creator and who whom God has turned over to their sin, which reading that. So this whole Keller debate was so stark for me watching like TikTok videos that conservative sites I follow were sharing of the, the raunchy love for abortion that people are proclaiming in their fear of losing their so-called rights in the face of this Supreme Court leak. And 
I, I don't know, just reading Luther is kind of a breath of fresh air that this is not a new issue that the church has faced. <laughs> and I'm sure there were priests who were telling Luther to tone it down and to be a little bit more winsome and maybe he could win some people over. Although, yeah, I don't know. Can you, in the German language, can you... There's pro- Can you say anything winsomely in German? <laughs> sort, of like, <laughs> sort of like in Chinese. Does the Chinese language have a spot for being winsome? Because it seems like in German and Chinese, you're always just yelling. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that being winsome, though... I don't know that... I don't... I think we need to redefine what winsome means. Yeah. Because a winsome winsome is being is making the Christian faith if you use it in the traditional sense it's saying I'm going to be I'm going to make my faith attractive and appealing to you. But unfortunately that's never going to be the case. Say it as nicely as you want. Mm-hmm. You still have to say it. So I'd rather just come out and say it. I mean, you're going to dislike me one way or the other. Here's where I think. So whether or not I make it sound awesome and how great you are, it doesn't matter. You're gonna, you're gonna hate me because I'm a Christian. Yeah. Story. This okay. Going back to the negative, the yin and yang, the negative and the positive. I think this is how you make in our day and age and our culture. This is how you make the Christian faith appealing by your own joy and by your own peace and contentedness. So. You know, I spend a ton of time thinking about the topic for my my Canavox leader conversation this week is how do we coach parents and how to talk to your kids about the LGBTQ issues that are raging today. And my number one thing is train your children to appreciate respect and listen to the design of their body and to know that that is good. And so as I'm as I'm training teaching my own kids, you know, just just today where Titus is learning how to convert inches to feet plus inches and vice versa. So we measured how tall he was and he's 61 inches tall, which he then had to convert and figure out that he's five foot one inch. And then we measured the other girls, the girls, and he's all, I'm taller than you, Lily. And I'm like, okay, first of all, you're two years older than she is. So you should be taller than she is. Second of all, you're a guy. You're going to get a testosterone burst when you hit puberty. And you are always going to be taller than she is. And you're also always going to be stronger than she is, not just because you're older, but because you're a guy. And God designed you to be taller and stronger and therefore to be a protector and a provider over women. And, you know, try understanding you have this design in your body and I'm not an evolutionist, but it's fascinating to listen to evolutionary people talk about, for example, have I talked about your vocal cords before? So when testosterone actually is why a man's voice is deeper, it makes a man's vocal cords thicker, which if you think about the strings on a on an upright bass versus a violin, it's the thicker strings that create and the bigger 
you know, body or whatever, but the thicker strings make for a deeper sound, right? Heck yeah. And well, that's exactly what's going on in your vocal cords. And it's testosterone that made those vocal cords thicker. And so, and evolutionary people think that that's because a deeper voice is more intimidating to rivals and potential predators. So a man is better able, the more testosterone you have, the more manly and strong you are, the more you are able from an evolutionary perspective to protect your family. And, uh, you know, I, I don't subscribe to evolution, but it's really interesting to hear them trying to process this through. And then to look at today's world where everything's willy nilly, you know, there's no purpose for this. And uh, I know that I've talked about this because we talked about the word telos years ago or months ago. And and Carl Truman says that in our current culture, we've lost any sense of telos, which is having been made for a purpose. And so for me, helping our kids understand that you were designed for a purpose and there's no mistake in your body and especially the maleness and the femaleness of your body there's just the intricacy with which your body was made and all of the different purposes and functions that your body executes in being male or being female is incredible and the more we try to mess with it i feel like you have a bug crawling across your head can you lean over here really quickly no, it's not a bug. I don't know what it is. Just a black spot. Sorry. I was like in, envisioning a tick embedding itself in your head while we're talking. It's probably a piece of fuzz from my hoodie that I took no, off it right was, before the it's, show. It's shiny and reflective, and it's now stuck to my finger, and it won't come off. It's not hoodie. I don't know what it is, but it's not a tick, hmm. which is good. <laughs> Anywho, I the fungal bug. sort of forgot where I was going with that, but it's a nice segue into another comment from our Telegram page. <laughs> 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 no, just today I posted... Okay, pause. Okay. Before Molly gets into this next bit, we have a Telegram group. on. We have a group on the app Telegram. Uh, where listeners a bit interact with with mostly each other, but also with us, um, and it's just kind of one of those little fun places to chat and talk about things with you know people who listen to the show as well. So it's where we typically try to continue conversations when we're not having the show and get feedback and everything else. So that's what Molly's talking about. I'll include the link to that in the show notes. So Matthew. <laughs> On Telegram today, after listening to uh, us talking about trying to get away from shopping at Target, since they're now very anti-body design and are selling chest binders and packing underwear. The, and so Matthew says, do they sell stomach binders for men? <laughs> and I, well, they do for women. It's called Spanx. And... And then I started thinking, there's actually been a thing for women for centuries. And I... I mean, I've got this copper copper brand with integrated copper. It's a compression t-shirt. And it kind of does something similar. It 
takes off whatever. I mean, I don't have, have you a lot of ads on Instagram for anymore, dad bod t-shirts. No. Somehow there's a t-shirt. No, I turn off all of that stuff and I don't get it. It's wonderful. Good for you. I, I I'm going to send you a link to one of those t-shirts dad bod where, where it makes you just, it fits really well. No, somehow shirts. It, somehow it's more flattering than there a regular is, like Hanes t-shirt. No, oh, Hanes t-shirts are the worst. And there's, there's definitely shirts that fit incredibly well. Me being a taller guy, I like a more athletic cut. So it's a little bit narrower and longer. I'm tall. Um, but yeah, so no, there's definitely, there's definitely, there's definitely something to be said for a t-shirt that fits super good. Okay. So or any, I mean, any clothing that suits. So, well. so I then posted a link. It was just literally the first thing that came up when I did a search for corsets harming women's health and came up with the history of medicine and public health website and this article says, did corsets harm women's health? And the opening quote is, it's difficult to imagine a slavery more senseless, cruel, or far-reaching in its injurious consequences than that imposed by fashion on civilized women during the past generation. So writes somebody in an 1892 appeal for women's dress to reform away from corsets. Her health has been sacrificed in countless instances. Her life has paid the penalty. Posterity has been dwarfed, maimed, innervated, and in body, mind, and soul deformed at its behest. The tight lacing required by the wasp waists has produced generations of invalids and bequeathed to posterity suffering that will not vanish for many decades. And literally every vital organ, like your the corset tightening turned ribs inward and punctured organs and moved organs around and well that worked because we know women's organs get moved around when they have babies so yeah, they just shifted it's right different i will it's a say whole lot you know different. you know when we got married when we got married and when you you know when you hug a bride that you know or something and you're always wearing court like all wedding dresses have corsets right there's a there's a huge difference though not, between a I wedding know. dress corset i know i'm and not talking about this kind of corset versus a wedding dress corset. But there's always just that really, it's just a fun feeling for a guy to, to like feel the, the tightness the of tightness the ribs and, stuff. and Not the tightness of the ribs, but just the feeling of that corset no, 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 around no. your waist. The cor- the, 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 it, it's called ribbing, ribs oh, yeah. on the corset, the, no, the up and down the hardness. stuff. Like I, just, I find that alluring for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it's, it's so unique. Because it's super weird. Because you don't actually touch. To you're not actually, you're actually touching, touching a woman. Skin. So it's like it's like what is going on right now? <laughs> so anyway. All right. Sorry. So side rail. So this. on Instagram, I post this, and Matthew responds with a quote: "It's difficult to imagine a slavery more senseless, cruel, or far-reaching in its injurious consequences to women." And he says, and then the sexual revolution came along and said, hold my beer. <laughs> that which made is, me laugh really hard. Which made me laugh really hard, too, and is completely true. And then Philip carried, Philip says, it seems societies are consistently trying to devalue women and remake them. Whether it's corsets, foot binding, or being a homemaker, it seems women are always being told they're not good enough. And we end up either making a parody of femininity or trying to turn them into men, which is 
totally spot on in my understanding of the sexual revolution. And interestingly enough, I dove into this thing on femininity. And okay, by the way, make a note of this. I am going to send you, JR, to share with everyone the link to the new session on motherhood that Canavox just posted. Uh, there's, for those of you guys who have followed my Canavox journey at all, since I mention it somewhat regularly, it's not a Christian organization. We're a natural law organization that essentially provides the facts and the statistics for the fact that God's world really does work the way that God said it did. And so we follow God's rules, and here's sort of the the Proverbs, the wisdom literature outworking in terms of data and statistics for and philosophy some for why why we follow what God says we should in terms of sexuality and marriage and relationships. We released a new session on motherhood, and there are a couple of absolutely fantastic commentaries on being a mom and the value of of spending your t- most of your waking hours with with your progeny if God has chosen to give them to you. And for those of you who are moms, I think that you would be super encouraged, especially by the piece by uh, Cecilia Royals and then Elizabeth Schlater, those two pieces, who are, those are the last two pieces in the session. So I'll have JR post a link to that. I think you guys would really enjoy those. But we also have a piece that totally goes to Philip's point. Well, there's a number of those. Oh, this is what I'm going to say. As I was researching some of the pieces to add to this piece, I came across, uh, was it Public Discourse or First Things, an article? I'm not going to be able to dig it up now. I can try. Only because I love you guys so much. Uh, I found an interesting artist. Sorry, I'm lightly distracted. Because I remember completely reading, distracted. I'm talking I to the remember, microphone. I'm not talking know, to you at I know, all. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I remember reading one of my favorite authors is Eric Larson, and he wrote a book. I think it was Thunderstruck, where it told the concurrent stories of the of the development of the Marconi device, what we now know as shortwave FM radio, and uh, I think it was shortwave radio and a serial killer in England and the serial killer's wife was this really like he talks about how history at that particular point in time and I think it was the late 1800s where culturally a very robust woman was um was like the appealing thing. Oh, when you're speaking robust as in physically as in physically robust. Oh my gosh, you just completely derailed me. I'll Okay, carry on. Sorry, a larger woman, you know, rotund, big, was like the thing. That was what was really attractive back in the day. So then I was like, you know, there's body types throughout history. And so I Googled that and found, and I got totally sidelined by this article, this random article on Google on the Renaissance era, ancient Greece. And they use art, the artwork of the time to kind of determine what was, what was fashionable in uh, those days in terms of women's body types. So it all comes and goes. It all changes. So that's why I was, it was relevant, but it, it was like relevant. totally, 
It is. Okay. Mark the robust body woman. We're going to come back okay. to that at the end. Marking okay? robust body robust woman. Body. So two things about the sexual revolution harming women. One of them is uh, Mark Regnerus, who is a Catholic researcher at the University of Austin, has a video called The Economics of Sex. And he talks about how the the there's a basic economics supply and demand, right? The higher the supply, the lower the price. The higher the demand, the higher the price. Right. Um, and economics. Super, super basic economics. And he says the, this is really consistent until there's some sort of shock to the system, to the system that throws things out of whack and it has to find a new equilibrium. Well... In, in old school sexual economics, if you will, supply and demand, women supply, men are demand. <laughs> the women... Any con- married guy's going to go, here, here. The women... Right. But so, so in the unmarried world, the women controlled the supply and set the price. And the price was, a, was marriage because the cost to women of sex outside of marriage was so great. And you see this in our culture today. Well, men can have sex and what, you know, women need to have abortion so they can have consequence-free sex too because men, you know, men have consequence-free sex all the time. And that goes to Philip's thing, like, because of the sexual revolution, women have to act, women want to be able to act like men. But the thing that, so, so the price was high for sex. Men had to pay a high price, i.e. get married in order to, have sex consistently. The um, the pill, hormonal birth control, was the shock to the system to this economic system because women no longer needed to demand such a high price because the cost to them of pregnancy it, it, there there wasn't the quite the risk of pregnancy, and so supply became much more plentiful which drove the price down so men and now that you throw internet pornography into the mix men don't even have to leave their basement in order to achieve some degree of sexual satisfaction although that's debatable yeah really but, debatable but the the supply but given how hard the dating world is <laughs> you know the the oh the risk the oh. cost benefit analysis for a man to leave his basement <laughs> is not worth it for them because women are so horrible in the dating world oh, in our guys. day and age. And we'll go on that topic, but we'll no, have I young mean, we single can, male friends on the show. We can totally go on that topic because I think young single men need to be affirmed that the dating world is atrocious out there for both men and women. And part of the reason is because the price for sex is so low and the market sets the price, right? So by and large... People are buying, going to buy, most people are going to buy their kids' clothes if they have the choice between Walmart and handmade organic merino wool that's been imported from somewhere that costs $60 for a pair of underwear versus, you know, 10 underwear for $5 for my kid. Most people are going to go 10 for 5 and not 1 for 60 because... That's just what, you know, and and so that's going to drive the price of the handmade merino wool imported from New Zealand underwear down just to get people even interested in it. 
which is the same for, you know, if you have a couple of women who are waiting to have sex until they're married and are demanding that high price, most of the market's just going to flood to what's cheap, i.e. pornography and hookup culture, which leaves this whole set of people who, well, it leaves a whole set of people who have struggles finding somebody to marry more than I would argue most other times in history. But then also the end result for women is eventually women want to get married. (laughs) Most women in our culture still statistically would like to get married and to have a family with a partner that they're married to. The problem is men are like, I don't need $60 handmade underwear. I've got cheap underwear from Walmart. A plenty. I never need to do this. I never need to pay the high price. And so women gradually are getting older and older and not being able to find someone who's willing to pay the price that they're asking. And that's this. I this and just, hence, we don't have enough human population to repopulate our countries like Japan or America. Now. And America and most countries in Europe as well. Yeah, it's all right. The, the good news is there are subcultures where you can create a different economic structure. And that's what we've got to do for our kids and for the people in our world who would like to be married and can't find somebody and we pray for them because God is bigger than all of the mess that Mm -hmm. we've created. But the economics of sex, the, the end result, I guess my point is to Philip's point on telegram is women who wanted the freedom from the sexual revolution to enjoy consequence free sex like men. And there's a zillion other reasons why it's not consequence-free sex. We're just pretending, right? We're denying what our body tells us and pretending. But the end result is women are paying the price. Women are not getting married. Men can, you know, flip a switch more or less and be like, you know, now I'm willing to find someone to marry. Not, you know, single guys who are listening to us would probably disagree. But but the, it's. I would say that it's harder for a woman to find someone willing to pay the price than for a man in our culture. So women continue to pay the price for the sexual revolution. The other thing that was really interesting to me when I was researching this is one of my big struggles as a stay-at-home mom is is the financial aspect of the fact that there is no financial aspect to what I'm doing. (laughs) You know, like I went to Costco today and I had a four hundred. Oh, there's a financial aspect. It's well, just going the other way. <laughs> well, right. I you know, so and, and, you and have, the we have four kids. Right. They're expensive. Yeah. The reality and food is getting more expensive. I Whoa. for sure feel Everything that. Everything is getting more expensive. Um but the industrial revolution from this article that I can try to find and maybe not won't be able to. The industrial revolution when women could go to a factory and do the same work as men and women were encouraged to go to factories and do the same work as men is when a woman's value started being rated according to her financial capacity, earning capacity. And before that, it was assumed that there was a non-pecuniary value to what a woman did, and you just didn't even try to rate that. But I I know very few stay-at-home moms who don't struggle with the fact 
that they don't, they feel like they need to have a side hustle. They feel like they need to justify what they're doing. There's always this pull that I should be able to rate what I'm doing in a financial way rather than to say, and and it's because our, our, our industrial world and our American value system is so centered around money that to, to not even have what is my earning capacity or what am I adding value wise to the family in a financial way, not be part of the equation. It's very hard for women to do that. And I know that men, I feel like I'm talking in a circle here, but I feel like it's very common for men to tie their sense of identity and value to how much well, they that's, make. That's where I was. That's where I was going to go with this whole thing. It doesn't sound like your struggle in that area is exactly the same as my struggle in with where I'm at. Yes, but you know. but I think that our culture has fueled that more in women. Yeah, because our culture is crap. Right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying I have a particular I have a particular bone to pick in the way that it Okay, so here's I have for years been blaming what I call toxic feminism for my struggle with value as a stay-at-home mom. Tying it to the industrial revolution just gives it even deeper roots of why it's so hard to root out for me. Because toxic feminism, as I will refer to it unabashedly and not winsomely, is, you know, is this idea, as Philip said in the telegram, that women need to basically become like men, like shorter versions, smaller boned versions of men. And but we need to act like men in the boardroom. We need to, you know, if we don't have women in STEM or women in the boardroom, it's a problem rather than it's an expression of a woman's values. And if women are earning as much as men, it's a problem rather than, okay, this woman's a doctor and this man's a doctor, but the woman chose to go into pediatrics and the man chose to go into heart surgery. One of those earns more money than the other inherently. And then even though they're both doctors and the woman decided to go into a career, you know, in pediatrics where she can take time to be with her kids and she took maternity leave and all of these things do hurt, you know, make her earn less. But it's not because we're in a sexist society and it's also not because there's a problem with the woman's choices, but these the things are presented as though there's a problem with a woman's choices if there aren't enough women in an engineering class. I, I'm i thinking very specifically right now about a couple that I know that I've spent quite a bit of time with, and I really, really, really enjoy it. I really like them. They're very committed to each other. They, he's got a similar story to mine with an ex-wife and terrible previous marriage and things. And it's just, they're a wonderful couple, but they, they live and work in Hollywood. And they are what you are talking about right now. And it makes me really, really sad because I see a better way and I know a better way, but I don't, they would never be able to escape the environment. I mean, that's, that's everything about that. You know, women 
elevating themselves to greater places than that's it's, come, that it's comes not out wrong. Greater places. I know that came out wrong. It's it's, a, it's it's exactly what you're talking about that I can't convey without sounding like a sexist pig. Um, you know. Well, I think it's because it's because we our whole culture. Our value system is based on a man's values. So what what is success? You know, success looks oh, like success is is being as having a successful career, making right. really good money, and, being able to provide and do what you want financially and Yeah, and that's so success. so and and that's the same for men and women in our culture. More or less. If you mm. were to ask what is it what is a successful college graduate look like if you're a woman um and this is the elizabeth schlater article in the canavox thing that i'm talking about she's got a master's degree her husband's a professor at hillsdale and she's saying there's every bit as much value in having a liberal arts degree if you get married and you raise your kids and you use all of the knowledge that you've gained from your liberal arts degree in raising your children as there would be if you were to go write books or if you were to go run an organization or if you were to go make a lot of money, you're using your degree in just as valuable of a way by staying at home and raising your kids as in all of these other metrics of success that we tend to accept unthinkingly, uncritically, when we think about what does it look like to be a successful college graduate. Okay, so to end on a lighter note, going back to talking about robust women, a robust woman in our church sent me an article that maybe some of you have seen. A robust woman in our church. It is a... She listens to the show, doesn't she? I don't know if she does or not, actually. Uh, This is Matthew Pierce, Substack. Should Should Christian women be allowed to have butts? And he says, probably the most dangerous thing for Christian men is to see things because this makes us sin. My youth pastor says men are visual. This means that whenever a man sees a woman, he thinks that lady has bosoms. I wish I could do sex right now. (laughs) Also, when a man sees something that's not a woman, like a toaster or a blade of grass, he thinks, hey, remember when I saw that lady with bosoms? I wish I could do sex right now. Do sex. <laughs> Actually, it says do a sex. Do a sex. Do a sex right now. So he says, back in the old days when Jesus was going around with his 12 epistles, the Bible hadn't been translated into English yet. So everyone had to read other books like Wild at Heart, which is a book for men that a bunch of wives read. Oh my gosh, it was such a terrible book. In the book, it says that if you send your husband on a moderately dangerous rafting trip, he won't accidentally bang his female co-workers because fresh air. So Jesus kept his guys outside. But even this didn't help because men are visual, and when they see mountains, they're like, mmm, those look like big boobs. This is why Jesus told them to eat mustard and throw the mountains into the sea. This is actually funnier reading aloud than it was when I read it in my head. (laughs) So anyway, he goes on to discuss how, um, in my day, Christian women did not have butts. 
At least as far as we all knew. In the 90s, all the homeschool moms in our co-op wore thick denim skirts and grew their hair so long it covered their entire back. Then in youth group, all the girls wore oversized shirts from Old Navy that hung down to their hips. That was the 90s. They did that in, in like... Even if you were lucky enough to go to a church that had pool parties, all the women wore baggy shorts over their ten canies. And Elizabeth Elliot was there, and she saw that it was good. <laughs> At some point, Christian women saw that all their worldly counterparts had butts, and a lot of them were like, Mama want. So he goes on to talk about, let's go back to the Greek. And then he goes to the Old Testament, because that's in Greek. But he says... When you take the word but through a common biblical study, you get several translations like ham. Out of Noah's three sons, which was the most wicked? Ham. <laughs> and then he says, another translation is ass. You know who had problems with an ass? Balaam. <laughs> this guy wrote an ass so hard. An angel told him to knock it off. <laughs> You guys, you have to read this. It's brilliant. Anyway, um, uh. I'm not going to read anymore because I'm crying. But I will just say that in response to should Christian women have butts, I responded to this robust woman in our church that I'm holier than she is because I don't have much <laughs> funny parts that I didn't read, so you guys really have to read it yourselves. <laughs> and thank you to the anonymous robust woman. If you're listening, you said this to me because oh my word. it really made us laugh. <laughs> oh. oh man. I'll um I'll include a link to all that good stuff in the show notes. I'll have a busy day of linking tomorrow. <laughs> Ooh. All right. If you guys want to uh, join in the conversation uh, between shows, you can jump on a Telegram group. That will be in the link as well. And um, we'll include a link to a couple of other our favorite things. And most of the time, we don't get a kickback for any links anywhere. A couple of things we do, but most of the time, we don't. So we appreciate your support, listening, sharing, and... Um, and telling other people about the show. It's huge. We also love hearing from you guys. You can do that. You can let us uh, know what you think or send us some feedback on our website as well, www.toobusytoflush.com. And scroll down, and there's a little uh, postcard option there. You can send us a postcard. Or you can send us an email at tb, the number 2f, tb2f at pmpapamike.me. And uh, <clears throat> with that, I'm going to sign off and go <laughs> read, read the rest of I the think. About that was pretty good alright guys thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next week <laughs>